Well, good morning, Church at the Red Door. What a privilege. I, I said I cannot do just, I cannot do another singular, me sitting in my office, standing in my office, dancing around in my office in front of my uh, bookshelf. I need to see a few eyes. We've had a few team members to be here, and, and uh, we wanted to do something special. Why? Because this is a special morning. I was telling some folks the other day, I don't even remember who it was. I was saying, you know, uh, each passing year, the resurrection becomes more significant to me. I mean, it, it doesn't, well, I've heard that story. You know, have you heard that story so many times? Uh, I've heard that story. I've heard that story. Well, we've done, been there, done that. But it's different. Each year I see a, a new reflection, a new picture. It becomes more significant. And then somebody said, well, it's because you're becoming a lot older. And I said, Maybe, yeah, but but it, but it's true. I mean, the closer I get, I'm halfway to 114. We always say that around our house. Somebody has a birthday, you know, 40 years old, you're halfway to 80. You know, I'm halfway to 114. I mean, will I make it to 114? And this becomes more significant each year. So the question for us that we start, we're going to look at the implications, but as I think about this, I think about it is difficult for many to believe. You have science that says, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson talks about, you know, there's just no, there's really nothing in common with the scientific method and, the, and the, these spiritual documents. And he kind of, and people says, you know, I kind of love science. You know, I don't believe in this stuff, this resurrection. And so even parts of the church have said, uh, liberalized, if you will, and have said, you know, he didn't literally, you know, he wasn't literally resurrected, it was more in spirit. And to that, the Apostle Paul would say, nonsense. And Brother Boylan said exactly that. He said, we are to be, we're to be pitied. We're to be pitied. And uh, Randy may have alluded to that as well. So here, here's the point. Can we believe in this? Is this reasonable to believe in that? And I've done many messages on that. And I just want to touch on that before we get into the, the real body of what I wanted to communicate. I feel like the Lord wants to communicate to us as a church and to you individually. You know, when you look at the scientific method and, and you kind of say, well, I don't believe in that because I just doesn't feel, I can't feel this in my bones. You know, Einstein talking about special relativity said he couldn't, he, we just couldn't feel it in our bones. It was just too different. Michael Green, who wrote The Elegant Universe, talking about then the very small, the quantum level. Listen to what he says here. He says, aesthetics aside, he says the ultimate test of a physical theory is the ability to explain and predict physical phenomenon you know, accurately. And, but then he says this. So he's asking us, science is asking us to take kind of a step, a leap of non-intuitive faith, if you will. He says, we must modify, speaking about strength theory, we must modify our language and our reasoning when attempting to understand and explain the universe on an atomic and subatomic scale. In other words, we have to, I know it's not in our bones, Einstein would say. I know we can't feel it. You know, Laura, I'd ask her, we, we, just, we desperately need some flowers in this little courtyard area because it just looks drab, especially during the summer and you're covering some palms and this and it kind of gets dirty. We need some flowers in there. And she came back with these incredible, I think she called them pom-poms. And they, we fill these pots with these big, round, beautiful pom-poms. And they were, 
they were gorgeous. And we were just, I just go out there and just look at them. I just stand there and just, these are incredible. A little bit akin to what we're looking at around us today. And then just, it wasn't, you know, a few weeks later, they just started to die and wither and, and kind of go away. And I said, what's happening to our pom-poms? And Laura came back and she said, it's little spiders. You know, they're, they're, they're eating away at our pom-pom. And just each day, they just began to wither and go away and they, and they shriveled up and they died. And then we, we have to get something else in there. And that's what's in our bones. That's what we're used to. We're used to things dying. We're not used to things coming back to life. Sometimes things can be curbed. Health issues can be made a little better for a period of time, but eventually entropy, things going from a state of order to disorder, is what is in our bones. And then we come to the resurrection. We come to the story that we've read so many times, and some people, and I'm going to talk about this in a minute, I, I met with a precious woman who I've loved and who's served God for a long time, and I met with her the other day, and she's failing. She says, I'm failing. I'm not able to play golf anymore. I'm not able to do the things I wanted to do. And I'm, I'm terrified of what's kind of on the other side, what that will look like. And I said, well, you haven't thought concretely about what the resurrection means. And we started to talk about that a little bit. So before we do, I want to, I want to get kind of cranking here and have Daryl and C.C. Hume read for us the simple story, just a, just a few verses, and then we'll proceed from there. The Humes? We'll be reading this morning from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was, was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spice, bought spices so they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter... He is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. They went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, did you catch that? I mean, they were, they were amazed. They were trembling. They were astonished. This was not in their bones. They weren't used to dead things coming back to life. I mean, sometimes we, we think about, you know, people from ancient cultures would believe anything because they didn't have science. No, they, they weren't used to this either. I mean, this was, this was, they were amazed and they were astonished. And this guy says, he's risen, he's not here. I mean, that's, that's phenomenal. 
So here's the question this morning. What are the dramatic implications? I mean, we can think about all kinds of dramatic stories, right? We have uh, maybe discovering a cure for cancer or uh, eradicating world hunger. I mean, there's all kinds of things. But if this occurred, I'm telling you, if this occurred, if this literal resurrection occurred and what Jesus said and predicted that it would occur, and then he, he was able to... He was able to fulfill that. I mean, there's one thing to say, you know, I'm going to I'm going to score 25 points tomorrow night and I'm going to, you know, and a guy scores 25 points but to say I'm going to die and then I'm going to come back and then pull that off. I mean, that is extraordinary. Or it's simply a myth fabricated to control people, abuse people, or maybe even give people a false sense of hope. And if that's the case, then this is a cruel atrocity. Do you know how many people have died over the last 2,000 years, gone on missions, uh, given their lives up, given their, this short period of time we have to advance the gospel? Some say, well, even if it didn't really happen, Christianity is a better way to live. I say, that is nonsense to me. I, I just doesn't make sense to me. Maybe for someone who's just kind of out and they have this you know, thought in their mind that, well, yeah, it happened, and it makes their life somehow more livable, but thousands, millions of people over the last 2,000 years have given their life predicated on one thing, that not that Jesus was a good moral teacher, that he was extraordinary, that he was uh, somehow kind of some messianic figure for Israel that maybe came up a little short. No, they based it on one thing, that he rose from the dead. So what are the implications? Now, what I had talked to my precious friend about the other day, and I, and I want to even say this, and I even texted her last night, and I said, look, some of the... I want I, this message is kind of built for you because you said, I, I don't know what's on the other side. I'm concerned about. It. So let's think really concretely about the implications of the resurrection. What are they? Now I'm going to give you three things. Very simple. Very simple. One day, new bodies. I was putting on these shoes this morning, and Laura said, Are you going to wear those? Don't those hurt your feet? Do you remember? It was only a couple of years ago that they were wheeling me up in a wheelchair and it was pretty dire, you know, for us. And people didn't like seeing that. This is our pastor being wheeled up in a wheelchair. That's not good for our message, is it? I mean, you know, isn't God supposed to be the healer and all that kind of thing? It was these very shoes that I was preaching a sunrise service in which precipitated a long decline that led me eventually to some friends here that uh, got me into UCLA, and my one foot was 20 degrees hotter than the other, and it was exploding. It was huge, and I just didn't even want to be here anymore. So, while bodies fail, some of you even here and some of you watching online, I mean, I'm telling you, you know we'll say amen. I mean, my body's failing. So it's not in our bones that somehow there would be a point in the future where we would have radically, radically new bodies. But that's the gospel. That's part of what the message is. We're going to look at that this morning. Number two, somehow we're going to have the same soul. It is going to be you. It'll be your thoughts and your understandings and your consciousness. But it's going to be a flawless soul that's not pulled back by the gravitational force of sin that we all feel, that Paul talked about, that those thoughts that still emerge in our head and we go, I want to be a Jesus person, but then I'm so cynical or I'm so, I have a bad attitude or I'm hateful or whatever it is, that will vanish. 
our souls will be reformed. Now, it's already happened now. We're starting to love things. If you're a Jesus person, you're already starting to love things that you didn't love before. But it's not complete. One day, it will be complete. And lastly, a radically new environment. This is a beautiful place. I, I had some staff in for the links and board, and but new staff. Some from the East Coast and from Central, and they all came in. And one had never really been here, and his wife had never been here. And they kept making the comment. I put them in a, a beautiful home, and they kept making the same comment over and over. And it was simply this. This feels like heaven. I mean, you guys have created heaven on earth. This is just unbelievable. And, you know, it's the field of dreams. Is this heaven? No, it's Iowa. You know, I mean, so sometimes we get glimpses in God's creation, and yet, if you look around up in these mountains right here, I guarantee you there were coyotes eating rabbits last night and snakes that were gobbling up other things. It's the, you know, it's the tooth and claw kind of a thing. We look around our world, and sure, we have pollution, we have earthquakes, fires have devastated California. In fact, the entire West Coast. This last summer, I was up in Oregon, the most polluted place. I was actually there. Some of our friends, the Thompsons, and here we were in Salem. Salem, Oregon, the most polluted place, and you couldn't see 100 yards in front of you, the visibility. That feels fallen. Animals eating animals. Lions not lying down with lambs. It was, no, it was, it's profound. We feel the fallenness even in creation, and even go beyond that, go into the entirety of the cosmos. Neil deGrasse Tyson that I mentioned a minute ago, he said, I just can't believe in God for this primary reason. And it's when I look out into, he's an astrophysicist, and I look out there, I see what appears to be great disorder. And I see a violence that happens even in the cosmos. I said, well, he doesn't understand theologically that the Bible says, and we'll see it in a minute, even the creation is groaning. The creation is not just earth and the little things that we can see. It's the entirety of the universe that we know. And who knows, maybe there's thing, there are things beyond our own universe. It's unknown, but we do know that our universe is suffering from entropy. Stars burn out. Planets fall out of, the spin, out of their spin. I mean, all these things happen, and it's not an ordered universe. But one day, it will be a new heavens, not just a new earth but a new heavens and a new earth. The elements will melt. It will all turn. So now think about this for a second. If Jesus wasn't resurrected, then I promise you none of these three things, your body, your new flawless soul, and your, your digs, your environment will never change either. If Jesus wasn't resurrected, none of those three things will be resurrected. But if he was, let's think about this. Let's think about it. Let's think about it deeply. So what is the bodily experience? Well, right now it stinks. I mean, it just does. I mean, I, these feet, those, some of you, you know, I can't sit here on my back. You know, it's L5S1, and, you know, you're already having a, some of you needing to walk around, and it, it's not a great experience to decline. It's not a great experience. But listen to what Paul says to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He, he says this is true. We know that if the earthly tent which is our house, this body is torn down. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house, in this body, we groan, longing to be clothed 
with our dwelling from heaven. Inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked, for indeed, while we were in this tent, we groan. We're burdened because we don't want to be unclothed to be clothed. And, but so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose. Now notice, he who prepared us for our resurrection, for our new heavenly body. We're going to talk a little bit with more specificity about what that actually means. And he gave us the spirit as a pledge. In other words, People ask me all the time, what is Christianity? I said, it's one thing. God living in you through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus' blood. How do you know if someone's a Christian? Christ's spirit, the Holy Spirit lives in them. And that's what begins to change you from the inside out. That's your pledge that one day your body will come out of its place. It doesn't matter. I've had people say, well, people get so concerned. Should I? What if I'm cremated? What if I... What if I'm in a fire and then I can't, I have no body to resurrect. Now we have just, just the code. Now we know through the Human Genome Project, we know that there's code written about you and just one little piece of your DNA is everything coded about you and yet fallen but one day restored. Just a piece of hair has your DNA in it and you can be restored. So I would say science is finally catching up with the idea of resurrection and the potential for resurrection. We're cloning sheep for heaven's sake. You don't think God can recreate flawless bodies that will live eternally and never be subject to decay, to entropy. The second law of thermodynamics again, of course. Of course he can do that. He can speak into existence this out of nothing. Is this hard for him? No but it's not in our bones, but it should be. And I'm hoping this morning it's more in your bones than when you first began to watch this time together. Romans 6, verse 5, Paul tells the Romans, says, if we've become united with him in the likeness of his death, in other words, if we undergo a death to our own will and reign in our own kingdoms, that's what this means, certainly we will also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Jesus came back in a body, not in a spirit. The Bible's very clear about that. They talk about him appearing on the shore of Galilee, preparing a meal, actually eating with them in another appearance. He appeared for 40 days in a body. Thomas, I know you don't believe. I know this is a struggle. Touch the very, the very scars on my hand. I mean, Jesus was in a body. The Bible could not be more clear. But the Corinthians were already struggling with this spiritualizing, this whole thing. They, you know, it's easy to happen. Now, I want to read Philippians. Now, catch this, because you've got to realize, well, okay, maybe he was, but he was God, but what about us? And I'm going to read this from the Berean Study Bible, because I think it, it puts it in a very interesting way. It says, our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, believers, Jesus people, people with the Holy Spirit, we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. In other words... <laughs> He can, he's got the goods. We'll transform our lowly bodies to be just like his glorious body. Well, what was his glorious body like? Well, we see two pictures of a 
glorified and yet not completely glorified. Mary Magdalene came to him right after his resurrection, tried to grab hold of him. He says, woman, don't cling to me. I've not yet ascended to the Father. We see a glorified Jesus coming back to Paul on the road to Damascus so brightly shining that he fell off his horse and he was, he, 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 he was blinded. I don't know if he fell off his horse, but he was blinded. The Bible doesn't actually say he fell off his horse. It's just kind of a nice theatrical uh, addition. But he was blinded by uh, this glorified Jesus. We got a picture of that in Matthew 17 at the transfiguration. Jesus took a few guys up with him and it's kind of like, Father, just kind of show them who I'm really going to be. And he was glorified before them. And they were just like, ah, they just couldn't believe. And yet, he also appeared on the road to Emmaus in a pre-ultimate glorified way, I guess, if you will. And they didn't even recognize him. And they were talking. They thought he was a normal guy. It was a body. It wasn't a spirit. It was a body. It a raised body. He was visible. He was, he was touchable. He... He ate food. He had the ability to appear and disappear. He just kind of appeared in a room. Uh, this Brian Green, I said Michael Green early, but Brian Green, who wrote The Elegant Universe, he, he talks about the strength theory. And again, I don't know anything about different dimensions and how this moves in and out. And he postulates that if the strings, which may be the subatomic, we'll never be able to prove this that we know, but the math may or may not work out. But these strings, if they vibrate so quickly, he likens it to... Uh, you could have a glass and have ice in it, and the ice could just kind of move through the glass. You talk, and that's just, this is string theory. This is science, maybe. We don't know. It's theoretical in nature. But if science can even think in those terms, is it too hard for us to imagine that Jesus in a different, different kind of body and yet kind of the same? There is a body continuity in Luke 24. He says, it is I myself. It's not a different Jesus. It's still a body that's recognizable. Randy Alcorn in his book, The he uh, Heaven, simply says there's a fundamental continuity and yet a significant dissimilarity. Let me say that again. There's a fundamental continuity. So when I see Pastor Paul, it's going to be Pastor Paul. And everyone said amen. Uh, but it, there's also going to be a significant dissimilarity. It's going to be a totally different kind of Pastor Paul, a glorified body Pastor Paul. You know, Paul spoke really sternly about resurrected bodies. And why? Well, the Corinthians, I, I have to imagine because of the Gnosticism and the the duality of the physical and the spiritual and how, you know, and all this dualism that was going on in their Greek thought, the, 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 the scene realm was a bad thing, it was evil, and we wanted to be released from the scene realm. He had to argue for the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus over and over, and we see that in 1 Corinthians 15, 16 through 22, and then 35 through 43. Let me just read this. It was alluded to earlier. If the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, well, your faith is worthless. Waste of time. Let's go home. Let's eat, drink, play golf, drink beer, get wiped out. Who cares? No God, no, God, no direction, no anything. It all, it's all irrelevant. That's what Paul would say. When you're still in your sins... If he died for you and his, ato his atoning blood's not efficacious unless he was raised. It was just like another animal. And then you sin again, you're gonna have, somebody's going to have to die again. But this time it was the once and for all death. 
corroborated by his own rising to become our high priest in the heavens forever and ever. This is amazing. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ, well, they're just gone. You have a family member, we've lost people already. We lost someone in our church. It only been a few times, but right here in the desert from COVID. Lost, perished, never to be seen again. Sorry, that's Paul's language. If we've hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men. As alluded to earlier, we are pitiable people. Oh, it's nice that you have your Christianity and everything, and I'm glad that helps you through this life. No, Paul would say pitiable people. But if he was raised, and I believe he was, I know he was, because he already lives in me, and many of you know that, and if you don't know that, you can know that this morning. He goes on in the order of the resurrection. He talks very specifically about it. Christ has been raised in the first fruits of those who are asleep. For by a man came death, but by a man came the resurrection of the dead. For in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. And I'm going to go to verse 40 now. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon. Another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. So also in the resurrection of the dead. <coughs> Excuse me. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised. <clears throat> it's raised imperishable. Not a spirit being a body. A spiritual body. If it was just a spirit, it would say spirit. If it's a spiritual body. Some people think, well, that just means spirit. It's not our, it's not our own DNA. Reformed and regenerated without any deformities, without any, but the same you. So I don't like me. I want to be Cindy Crawford or, you know, something like that. I want to be Brad Pitt. Your glorified body, you, the, the God, the, the DNA that was crafted before the foundations of the earth or in the unformed substance of the earth, Psalm 139, reformed will be glorious. And we'll think very differently about each other with glorified bodies. Everybody will be shining, and the brilliance of God's creation in you will come very clear, become very clear, and they'll be manifest to everybody around them. So, <clears throat> will we shine like Jesus? I think so. Listen to Daniel, writing about 600 years before the time of Jesus. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground, well, they're going to awake. I don't know how it could be more clear. Now, this is written. I, some of my Jewish friends say, well, we don't really believe in the resurrection. We don't really think about those things. I said, well, your prophets did. Daniel said those, I don't know how it could be more clear, those who sleep in the dust will awake. Some to everlasting life, others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. There is, there's a qualifier here, and it's the belief in Jesus, as we'll close with. But those who have insight will shine brightly. Think about that. Why would he use that language? Like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. And those who lead the many to righteousness, like stars forever and ever. You know, we call them stars. We, Hollywood celebrity and famous people in sports, we, are, these are stars. There's something in us that want to see others shine. We want to see something spectacular in those around us. Uh, superhero movies are about the only movies they seem to make anymore, you know? They're, they're glorified super beings, you know? We just, we just, we marvel at that. And that's, that's what they call them, Marvel comics. We marvel at it. We want to be astonished with one another. 
And yet even our stars fall, and then we find, and, you know, Jack Nicholson puts on a few pounds. I mean, you know, all these things occur, and then we just go, oh, we got to find another star. We, can I tell you, that deep longing in, in us to see others shine will be consummated when we're glorified. I can't wait to see you glorified. It's going to be awesome. Now, we'll never be Jesus. He's going to be the, he's still going to have preeminence. Again, Randy Alcorn says, we too, in a secondary and derivative way, in a derivative way, well, we'll reflect God's glory in physical brightness. I believe that. Jesus is going to be the brightest. There's going to be any question about who the king of the cosmos is, but we will we will shine brightly like the stars. I don't know if you really get that. Number two, flawless souls. Somebody told me a couple of days ago, it was one of our, one of our guys on our board. He's a hilarious guy. And he's, he quoted Brad Upton, who's a comedian. Uh, we sense something's wrong in us. And here's what he says. He says, I may not be much, but I'm all I think about. And I just love that. I mean, that is just, you know, I, I, I don't rise to the level I want, but, you know, then I'm also consumed with, you know, me, which is also kind of gross. You know, I can only, it's always all about me, and yet I'm not, not that much. So I don't, I don't like that, and you don't like that, and we all sense a detriment in our soul. Hebrews 12, 4, he says, you've not resisted yet to the point of shedding blood in your striving against this force, this pull, you know, I want to be flawless father, I want to be a flawless husband, and I want to be, I I do, I have a desire to be a flawless friend, a flawless pastor, a flawless, anything that I, whatever category, even a flawless golfer, uh, I'm pulled away from all of that, and I know it, there's something in me that just won't, ego doesn't allow you to hit a fall down the first tee because you're afraid of what people think. I mean, it just goes on and on and on, and we can feel that. We can feel that in our bone. Now, that's something we can feel in our bones. This life is a grind. Following Jesus, uh, we want it, but it can be elusive. Charles Spurgeon, listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. Now, this is a great Charles Spurgeon, a great commentator on the Word. He says, our prayers have stains in them. Our faith is mixed with unbelief. Our repentance is not so tender as it should be. Our communion is distant and interrupted. We can't pray without sinning, and there is filth even in our tears. You say, well, that's pretty harsh. Deep down, I go, "Uh, don't tell church at the red door, but it's true. I wish it wasn't true. And it's different. I'm different than I was a few years ago, and I have a down payment, but I can sense that something's still, still wrong. Paul in Romans 7 what I am doing, I don't understand. I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. It's pretty clear. But if I do the very thing I don't want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that it is good. Then he goes on, I'm doing things I don't want to do. I'm being the way I don't want to be. And I always tell people, the fact that you have the desire to be good is also an indication that something may be stirring in your soul. Either being drawn to Jesus already have the presence of the Spirit. It's a good thing. So do you feel this pull of sin in your soul? Well, one day the pull will be gone. Not only a new body, but the pull of our junk will be gone. We'll have glorified bodies, but we'll also have flawless 
souls, I'm calling them flawless souls, drawn only to the mesmerizing glory of the Creator. All effort and inclination will be directed toward the good and the perfect, not towards destruction, but construction of a new earth, a new heavens. I don't know. Will we get to travel through space and time and and visit distant galaxies? I, I don't know why we wouldn't. If we have the ability to go in and out of dimensions, as Jesus clearly did with his body as he ascended into another dimension, will that be possible for us? I can't see why it wouldn't be. I don't know that, but I can imagine when God, through the prophets, say, it's going to be above and beyond anything you can think or imagine. Well, I can think of and imagine some pretty cool things. Beyond what I can think or imagine. Those things that have been prepared for those. Who've been transformed already with a down payment of the Spirit. And then finally, how about new digs? Uh, let me go back. Before, this, kind of, this kind of brings it all together. The, two, the first two, the flawless soul and the new body. Listen to 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are children of God. He said, but it's not appeared yet as what we will be. We know that when he appears, when he comes back, what? We will be like him. Why? Because we will see him just as he is. Did you get that? Get that down in your bones. My friend, I hope she's watching. Get that down in your bones. There's no reason to fear. We should be more worshipful, more excited, even as our bodies are being decaying before our very eyes. We should be more enlivened in our spirit. But if you're stuck to the world too, too tightly, your circumstances will dictate your contentment. Don't let that happen. Focus on these things above, not on the things on the earth. And finally, New Cosmos, wow. Home improvement gone wild, right? This is big time. Revelation 21, just listen. Just try to just inject, sometimes, you know, Jeff, quit talking. Just read what God says. I saw no temple in it, thinking about this new heavens and new earth. Now, again, I, some of this is symbolic language. Some of it may be very literal. It's hard to completely interpret, but I think what it will make you feel is accurate. The Lord God, the Almighty, the Lamb, well, they're in the temple. And the city has no need of the sun or of moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it. And then with other illuminated, resurrected people, can you imagine the brightness? We don't even need the sun and the moon anymore. Its lamp is the Lamb. Oh, He's always going to be the preeminent one. He'll be the most glorified. There, there'll be a significant difference, and yet we too will be glorified. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, for there will be no night there, its gates will never be closed, and they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, and nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written. Catch this. Only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Do you know Jesus? Do you believe into Jesus this morning? Now's your chance. All these things can be yours. He showed me a river of water, of life, clear as crystal coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. Either side of the river was the tree of life, you know, the very thing that was in the garden. 
Had they eaten of that tree, I was talking about this yesterday to, some, to a group, I, had they eaten of the tree of life, they would have lived forever, but lived separately, from, separate from God forever. It's a blessing that death came. Well, I don't believe in this because of all the death. Had, had they been able to eat of the tree of life and not died, then they would have eternally been separated. Death was actually, in some ways, a real blessing. Now, they had to be reconnected, and it would only be through the Lamb, but separation for all time. But now the tree of life is there, and healing is there. Healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse. Now, that's important to get. The curse is very real as we look around, but it's temporary. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in, and his bondservants will serve him, and they will see his face. Exodus 30 says, no man can see the face of God and live. In your glorified body, you can see his face. And you can live. His name will be on their foreheads and there will no longer be any night and there will no need of light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign forever and ever. And then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. Had he not been resurrected, I question whether I'd go, well, you know, he said he was going to be raised from the dead too. And lastly, the cosmos struggles. Romans 8, he says, Paul says, there's a cosmic calamity here and the entire creation groans, waiting, waiting for the revelation of the sons and the daughters. And then in closing, 2 Peter chapter 3. The Lord's not slow about his promise. Some will say, well, they believe this 2,000 years ago, but I mean, you know, he would have come back something and this is just, you know, this religion will never die because he'll never come back, but people are going to believe he's going to come back. So it's just like, and, and Peter says, well, wait a minute. He's not slow about his promise. As some count slowness, but he's patient towards you. He doesn't wish for any to perish, but all to come to a change of heart and mind and direction. It's called Repentance. So somehow I just believe in Jesus. I'm going to follow him. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat. In other words, it's going to be a redo, but it's going to be the same heavens and earth. It's just going to be reformed, recalibrated, restored, re-energized, to never suffer the second law of thermodynamics entropy again. It won't ever go from a state of order to disorder. It's going to go from a state of disorder and reverse. We'll start over. And I'll walk off the stage. And it's going to go back to the original design. Never to die again. According to his promise, we're looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So here's the question in closing. Have you allowed yourself to dream? Have, has this taken you down a place where you're thinking more concretely about what the resurrection really implies? It's not just a, you know, it's a Christian, it's what they believe and he raised from the dead. Look, if he did, changes everything. I've said this many times. If he didn't, pitiable little pathetic religion. I just, that's just Paul's language. But he did. dream of that day where, again, entropy no longer ravages organized systems, where sin no longer prevails in our souls, and where the environment perfectly complements 
the first two. Resurrection Sunday is our opportunity to dream. We know because on the third day, I can feel the sun. Just as all the prophets had seen, Jesus exploded out of the tomb. Are you with me? Last thing is John made it very clear in John 11. Quoting Jesus, I I should say Jesus made it clear. John quoting Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asks a question. Do you believe this? If you do, these are yours. New bodies, flawless souls, and the ability to live in the presence of God forever. Should you reject Jesus, it's clear, you will finally be granted your wish. You do not have to live in the presence of God, but you will live eternally separated from the author and perfecter of faith, from the creator of everything. Your choice this morning, if you should choose to believe, and maybe these words have stirred something in you, you can simply say, Jesus, forgive me. I believe. I choose to follow you. And your journey begins. Be baptized. Be involved in a church. And if it's church at the red door, well, we would embrace you with open arms. The journey begins now at the point of belief. I pray that you believe today.